for weeks, California's massive wildfires have made heroes out of the people who fight them. They're singled out in news stories almost every day. So who are those firefighters? And for the purposes of this conversation, who are they not? It turns out that just about 4% are women. That's 4%. When 15% of the active duty military are women and 18% of the reserves and the National Guard. Now, if women can fight our wars if they want to, why can't more of them fight our fires? Corinne Bendersky has some very challenging answers to that question. She's a professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. I'm Orman Alney, and this is UCLA Anderson's podcast, How the World Works. Professor Bendersky, welcome aboard. Thank you, Warren. Good morning. Good morning to you. Are there women who want to be firefighters, a lot of them, who are being rejected? Yes and no. So there are plenty of women who want to be firefighters for the same reasons that men want to be firefighters. It's a, an exciting and challenging career where you're doing a lot of good. You're having a very positive impact on your community. That said, as you mentioned in your intro, there are so few women who are professional firefighters that I think that there are plenty of women who would find the career to be a good fit and to be attractive who don't really think about it as an option. So I wouldn't say that there are women who want to be firefighters who are being rejected as much as there is probably a insufficient visibility of the viability of the career path for women. Now that said, the requirements to become a firefighter are quite rigorous. There are very a high level of physical fitness requirements, as well as a variety of other requirements. And so it's not a job that is for everybody, male or female, but there are certainly more women in the US. And we're talking here specifically about professional firefighters as opposed to volunteer firefighters. There are certainly more who are both capable and probably would really enjoy and excel in the career than are choosing to go into it and pursue it. Quickly, before we get into your research, and there's a lot of it uh, as to what might be, uh, let's talk for a moment about what is. When women are allowed to serve as firefighters, what's it like for them? It does depend a bit which department they are in. As you said, overall, the percent representation of women in the fire service is low, averaging around 4%. There are some departments with a higher percentage, and I think for women joining departments where there's more of a critical mass, it tends to be a more inclusive experience. But for women who join fire departments that are at or below average. And here in Los Angeles, we have fire departments that have zero women, 1% of them are women, ranging to a maximum of around 5% female representation. For those who are joining the departments where they're really unlikely to have other women working with them on the same shifts and the same crews, it can be a very isolating career. Uh, the culture of the fire service is a very masculine culture, traditionally and through modern times today. And there can definitely be challenges for women to fit in both socially and to be recognized and appreciated professionally. So I say in general, with some notable exceptions, women suffer from a lack of belonging and inclusion in many fire departments that they join. You've done some very interesting surveys of this uh, with Felix Danbold of NYU. Tell us about those. What have you found in terms of the way people perceive firefighting and not just the public, but firefighters themselves? 
So we had the great honor and fortune of being able to spend a great deal of time in the field with firefighters from a number of different departments. We've conducted both surveys and interviews and done what are called station visits and ride along where we kind of live a day in the life of firefighters. And from those observations, we talked to both female firefighters and men firefighters about women. And there's a couple things that really stand out. One is that the profession of firefighting, as male-dominated as it is, and as essential to success as a number of very stereotypically masculine traits are, like being strong and being stoic and brave and heroic, also, firefighters spend a great deal of time engaging very intimately with the community. They're very compassionate, very patient, very team-oriented people. And to succeed as a firefighter, you need to also have those more stereotypically feminine characteristics. And so when we talk to firefighters about what was most important to a person, regardless of their own gender, they acknowledge that all of these different traits, this constellation of strength and compassion, were really essential. We don't want just purely brawny firefighters, because in most communities in the country, when you call 911, for whatever reason, from a fire to someone having a heart attack or a car accident, firefighters are the first responders. So they need to really have that level of cultural sensitivity and emotional intelligence that enables them to succeed in engaging with us in our traumatic experiences. When it comes to evaluating the potential capabilities of women firefighters, specifically as this highly underrepresented minority in the service, Many times people default to an emphasis on those highly stereotypically masculine traits, particularly strength and emotional stoicism. And when they're thinking about those as being so critical to success, there's a lot of skepticism about the capabilities of women to succeed as firefighters. How that skepticism is experienced by many women in the fire service is just unrelenting scrutiny and sort of low expectations about their capabilities. You're dealing with two things here. You're dealing with stereotypes and the expectation that people in certain stereotypical situations are going to have certain traits. Is that right? Sort of. We try to be very careful distinguishing stereotypes being about individuals or individuals from certain groups. So the stereotypes of traits means that we expect that certain traits are more likely to be associated with people from one demographic group than another. So for instance, we have gender stereotypes about traits related to warmth and traits related to competence or assertiveness especially. So traits that are related to assertiveness are stereotypically associated more with men than women, meaning we expect in general that men are more likely to be assertive and behave in ways that, or to demonstrate those assertive traits than are women. And we expect in general that women are more communal and warm than men. Now, of course, we can all identify women who are assertive and men who are warm and communal, right? So we can identify individuals whose own behavior is more or less consistent with the broad gender stereotypes. But 
stereotypes are very pervasive social and cognitive structures that we all recognize and understand those stereotypes, even if we don't personally endorse them or can identify individuals whose own behavior or traits deviates from those stereotypes. But we have those stereotypes about people. When you look at a profession, that we refer to more as prototypes. And it's important just to keep those things separate kind of conceptually, because it gets confusing to see stereotypes of the person and stereotypes of the profession. But when we think about professional prototypes, what do we expect members of this profession to be like? And what would an ideal member of this profession look like or how would they act? And if you think about engineers, we can think about uh, you know, certain characteristics come to mind, mathematics, mathematical capabilities. Generally, we see men, people tend to picture men rather than women. And that is partly because the trait of mathematical ability is stereotypically associated more with men than with women. So that's where you see sort of this alignment between stereotypes about demographic groups and professional prototypes that facilitates expectations of success or creates barriers to expectations of success, this so-called lack of a fit theoretical model. We've talked about this in terms of gender. Is it also true in terms of racial and ethnic diversity and stereotypes? Absolutely. And also with respect to age and with respect to uh, different national cultures, with respect to LGBT. Q plus identities, and there's a lot of intersectional stereotypes. So for instance, there are race and gender intersectional stereotypes such that we generally perceive Asians, whether male or female, as more feminine than non-Asians, and, and Caucasians are generally the sort of benchmark against which these sort of analyses are done. So we generally perceive Asian men as less masculine or more feminine than white men. In contrast, we tend to perceive black men and women as more masculine than white men and women. So a black woman is perceived as more masculine or less feminine than a white woman. And there's been a lot of really good research, especially in the last few years, really developing both theory and empirical evidence of these intersections of our stereotypes crossing a variety of different characteristics or demographic characteristics. So there's no question that women are going to have to have characteristics that are traditionally associated with men. But what you're suggesting is that much more of firefighting than we tend to realize involve characteristics that are much more traditionally associated with women. That's right. And what we found in our research is that when we prompted people to reframe how they're thinking about the firefighting profession and what is essential to success, what are we looking for in our ideal firefighters to really elevate people's attention to those more stereotypically feminine characteristics like emotional intelligence and compassion and being really team oriented, as well as being strong and emotionally stoic, we were able to reduce the baseline substantial gap in expected performance for women versus men. 
So that is when people were thinking about the firefighting profession as requiring all these different traits, some of which are stereotypically masculine, and a lot of which are stereotypically feminine, the gender gap was reduced. And that obstacle based on low expectations that produces this persistent scrutiny and skepticism about female firefighters was really dramatically lowered. What about current male firefighters? Do they come to understand what you're talking about, or do they cherish that image of themselves as macho men? You know, Warren, both. I do have the great fortune also of spending a, a fair amount of time consulting and doing private trainings for fire departments that are focused on things like implicit biases, stereotypes, and especially inclusive leadership skills and interpersonal skills that are specifically targeted to the fire service. And it's a very active conversation within the fire service. There is a huge value and appreciation of the history and tradition of the fire service and a tremendous amount of pride that is well earned based on what firefighters have been doing and throughout their history in this country. And the country is changing. The fire service is changing. There is a inevitable increase in diversification, not just around gender, but also race, LGBTQ plus status. And many members of the fire service are sort of grappling with how do we, as firefighters, embrace that diversity and lead diversity in a way that creates equitable and inclusive cultures. This, of course, is not exclusive to the fire service. Many of our um, public and private sector companies are grappling with similar things. It's just particularly pronounced because we're starting from such a low representation, particularly of women in the fire service. Tell us about some of the strategies that you use in order to teach these leadership skills that require a consciousness that it seems to me we don't really attribute to firefighters or have it at least until the kind of research you've been doing. Yeah, I, the, the training is built on that empirical evidence. So it's helpful, first of all, to be able to show firefighters data that's collected from other active duty firefighters. So you can't deny the existence of a, a handicap that women firefighters have in terms of expectations of their performance. And I'm able to tie that gap to stereotypes about women and this phenomenon that I've been describing, which is broadly referred to as a lack of fit, which is when stereotypes about people are misaligned with our expectations about members of the profession. And then I really can leverage something that's very beautiful and pervasive in the fire service, which is commitment to a meritocratic profession. So firefighters to a person will say that essentially, I don't care if you're male or female, what race you're from, as long as you can do the job, you're a firefighter, you're one of us, but it's performance based. So then I have to really work with them to identify through scenarios and quotes and discussion and encouraging introspection and sharing, candid sharing of personal experiences among people who are participating, the ways in which they are maybe unintentionally violating the integrity of that deeply held meritocratic value, which means that even though we may be intending to evaluate people's performance, there are ways in which we're actually unintentionally creating a not level playing field in those evaluations. And with that, that generally produces a motivation to try to create a more fair environment 
much of which also includes creating a more culturally inclusive environment. So is it your objective to change the way firefighting is not just perceived, but in fact, the way it's composed with the more women in it than we have now? I hesitate to answer that, Warren, because as a non-firefighter, I feel like it's not my place or job to change the fire service. My hope is to um, help to sort of raise a mirror and provide skill sets that are not typically included in fire service personnel training to help the fire service members themselves decide what they want to do and how they can ensure the most effective firefighting service possible. And often that is widely acknowledged to include more diversity because especially fire departments like those in LA that are serving very diverse communities, there are obvious benefits to having the department's demographics mirror the community's demographics that they're serving. So it's more a goal of helping to provide some insight, perspective, and skills that aren't necessarily traditionally taught or thought about in the fire service. It seems to me, if we think about it in the way that you are suggesting and emphasize uh, the importance of characteristics that are often thought of as more female than they are male, we'll have a richer fire service as a result that it's important for everybody to uh, think that way, not just firefighters or people who want to be firefighters. Yeah, I think that's fair, Warren. I often talk about also in these trainings and conversations with fire department leaders and members is we're not talking about a trade-off, right? We're not suggesting that you want to find people who are highly compassionate, but not physically or emotionally stoic. And that it's not a trade-off, but if you look for women who are strong enough to be firefighters and who are also highly emotionally intelligent and compassionate, and men who we sort of have more of an assumption expectation of strength and stoicism, who are also highly emotionally intelligent and compassionate, those are the people who are going to make the best firefighters. That's a department that has the wealth of resources to be able to really conduct the wide variety of tasks that we call on our firefighters to do. We see uh, often now that there are firefighting stations where they don't want to get vaccinations. What do you find in terms of your training that would suggest that there's at least some percentage of firefighters who are simply going to refuse to see their jobs in new and different ways? Warren, the fire service reflects society and it's microcosms. Every fire department I've ever been in, every firehouse I've ever been in is a microcosm of the communities they're part of. So the discourse and debates and polarization that's happening in our country in general, it's happening around the table at every fire station in the country as well. I have a lot of research on conflicts within groups, and I think that that is related but different. In particular, I study the conflicts that people have over their status positions, meaning their relative degree of recognized value. So there's the connection to the fire service, how much respect and esteem and prestige then associated with that is influence that people have in their groups. Those status conflicts have different characteristics and different impacts on the groups and teams that have them. Then do conflicts that may be over different issues like 
disagreements about the task that we are working on or our personalities and values, which are collectively referred to as relationship conflicts or how we do our work logistically. Status conflicts are very tightly tied up with our ego and our sense of self-worth such that if we feel like we are being undervalued or disrespected in our groups, those induce or trigger a particularly intense reaction, a particularly strong negative emotional reaction. They tend to induce particularly competitive behaviors and the approaches to handling status conflicts where you have people who feel like they're basically not getting the recognition that they deserve generally has to do with the group as a whole clearly defining their roles in ways that make it clearer to everybody how each member is contributing to accomplishing the group's collective goal. That seems to be the most effective approach to handling status conflicts. So that rounds out our conversation, which has been absolutely fascinating, and I have enjoyed it uh, very much. I think our listeners will have as well. Once again, Corinne Bendersky is a professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. I'm Warren Alney. This has been How the World Works. Thanks so much, Professor. Thank you, Warren. It's been a pleasure. 